0: I learned the other day that computers on spaceships actually aren't all that powerful. I mean, they're obviously really powerful, but comparatively, your phone is almost certainly faster than the computers on the most recent shuttle launch. And the software on those computers is old and it's off the shelf. It's not crazy special code written specifically for NASA, it's Excel. The flight software is the same Honeywell system used in 787 jetliners. And there are a bunch of these slow computers, usually at least three for redundancy. Why? Wouldn't it be better to have absolutely cutting-edge tech? You're going to space, not playing number munchers in Brian's fourth-grade computer lab. Side note, everyone always makes Oregon Trail references, but for my money as a kid born in the 80s, number munchers was 100 times better. And you can still play it, and I sometimes do. I'll put a link for it at gettacklebox nowhisperideas no ideas. I also would have bet my life it was number crunchers, but here we are. Anyway, apparently, the answer to cutting-edge tech is a firm no. Here's Matt Lemke, NASA's deputy manager for the Orion spacecraft avionics power and software team, raving about his old computer. The one thing we really like about this computer is that it doesn't get destroyed by radiation. It can be upset, but it won't fail. We've done a lot of testing on the different parts of the computer. When it sees radiation, it might have to reset, but it will come back up and it will work again. The quote continues, the more understanding you have of a device's failure modes and causes, the higher the confidence level that it will perform under mission environments. Qualification processes are statistical beasts designed to understand and remove known reliability risks and uncover unknown risks inherent in a part. Basically, traveling into space is really dangerous. There are tons of things that can go wrong. The biggest value a computer can have in space is reliability, that it'll perform the task you need it to. That reliability comes from years and years of millions of people testing it in countless real-world scenarios. You can't have newer software because there's no way it'd be stress-tested enough, and you simply can't introduce more variables in a world already chock-full of them. The goal is reliability, so you want to excel. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes of all time by Charlie Munger. Don't be brilliant, be less stupid. Get rid of things that can break, especially in a world where things break all the time. Today, we're going to pursue an idea. I think it's a good one. And we're going to do it like astronauts. We're not going to be fancy. We're not going to be brilliant. We're going to ask all the important questions to make sure we're not being stupid. We're going to maximize our base rate for success. Oh, and this is a true request for a startup. I'm not going to do it. I'm swamped here at Tacklebox. But if you do pursue this or an idea like it, you might get a Tacklebox membership for free and we'll help you build. Just let us know you're trying. After, a little smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scardato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through our product, the Tacklebox method, and we play smooth jazz and run through startup tactics every Wednesday on the Idea to Startup podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, you're ready to launch something, or maybe you already launched it and you're flying ahead full steam. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. For podcast resources and notes, go to gettacklebox.com forward slash no whisper ideas. And with that, let's get to it. However, bad you think single use plastic is, it's worse. Around 50% of plastic is used once. That's over 400 million tons of plastic annually. There's a great chance you use something plastic today and immediately threw it away. Thinking back on it, I did. I had a salad with a plastic bowl and a plastic fork. It also came with a separate little plastic container for dressing, and it was all housed in a nice plastic bag. Those are all now in the garbage for the next thousand years. So where do they go next? 12 million pounds of plastic are dumped into the ocean annually. There will be more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050, and literally 100% of all mussels tested have microplastics in them. That's every single mussel you have ever had was full of plastic. As far as problems to solve, there aren't many more important. There also aren't many that'll be harder. Plastic is cheap and it works extremely well. We'll have to be strategic about how we crack this nut. I also know that two things are true. It will be really hard to get rid of single use plastic, but in 10 years, there will be way less single use plastic than there is today. Someone's going to do it. Things don't change until they do. Now let's talk about problems. If you're considering working on a startup, we've got a list of criteria that make up a great problem, and we've recently expanded it by two. Great problems won't guarantee that you'll build a great startup, but bad problems will guarantee that you won't. It's like going into space. There are so many unknowns, you can't afford to mess up the knowns. You simply cannot chase a problem that isn't a problem. That can't be a variable. The criteria we've got are meant to ensure you don't do that. They keep Charlie Munger's words top of mind. Don't be brilliant be less stupid. Here are the criteria. Problems worth your time are, first, frequent. They happen a lot, which means they're top of mind a lot, and you've got a lot of opportunities to get in front of your customer. Think about traveling, which you maybe do a couple times a year, versus grocery shopping, which you likely do every week. It'll be easier to get the ball rolling and run tests if you're solving a problem around grocery shopping because you'll just have more opportunities to do so. Second, urgent. They grab your customer's attention by the cheeks like the kid in Billy Madison and shake them back and forth. Urgent problems cannot be ignored. If your phone breaks, you need a new phone. If you don't have a fig tree in your apartment, you're fine. Expensive. Great problems cost your customer a lot, which means that they will pay a lot to get them solved. Hop into Excel and see how many customers you need if you're charging someone $19. bucks. i will do it for you. You need 450 customers paying you $19 every month before you make $100K in revenue. Or you get 19 customers that pay you 450 bucks a month. There's a lot that goes into pricing, but no one pays a lot for something that doesn't cost them a lot not to have. Growing. You want the problem to be growing because that'll allow you to hop on a wave. If more people are going to have the problem in a year than have it now, there are going to be more people to sell to in a year than there are today. And likely a lot of them won't have a solution yet. There's opportunity there. Painful. The most important, this thing's got to hurt. No one will buy it if it's a nice to have. And I hear you, but Brian, I buy plenty of things that are nice to haves. I just bought my six pair of joggers. Two things. First, I'm not going to crucify you for that. Whatever brings you joy, my friend. And if the wind on your ankles does that, then who am I to judge? And second, you can't bet your startup life on a nice to have. You just can't. Don't be brilliant. Be less stupid. If the problem is painful, it'll get attention. If it doesn't, you're in a battle with everything else in your customer's life that's a nice to have. That's a hard game to win, so don't play it. And the two newbies, one courtesy of a podcast. The problem you work on should be something you proudly tell your kids you do. I love this one. When I moved into college my freshman year, my roommate's dad took me aside and grabbed my arm way too hard and told me two things. First, never get caught doing something that you wouldn't want on the front page of your hometown newspaper. And second, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Guy was smart and weirdly open with life advice to strangers. Problems you're proud to solve are problems you won't get sick of trying to crack. And finally, the problem you're solving should be visible. Acquiring customers and getting front of customers in 2022 is harder than choosing your favorite Hemsworth, and we haven't done that joke in a while. But it's true. Social channels are cluttered and visibility and segmentation are tough. The word is out on cold emailing. VC dollars are blowing up most paths to customers, making them tough, if not impossible to navigate for early stage folks. But if your problem is visible, meaning people see it happen along with your solution and your customers are bunched around each other, that's a ticket to cost effective early growth. So look for a problem that has some of these characteristics. You're never going to get all of them, but you should not build anything. If you've got none. Frequent. Urgent, expensive, growing, painful, visible, something you're proud to solve. Solving the single-use plastic hits a bunch of these, especially the last one. So, let's dig in. We don't want to boil the plastic-filled ocean, so we need to focus. My favorite jumping-off point for single-use plastic is takeout and delivery from restaurants. My wife and I had sushi the other night, and the amount of plastic is appalling. More than 70% of Americans order delivery more than once a week, which results in hundreds of billions of single-use products each year. This ballooned during the pandemic and it has stayed high. So how do we tackle this massive problem? First, we decide who we'd like to solve it for, which brings up some immediate challenges. If you want to solve it for restaurants, I doubt most see it as a problem. Plastic utensils are cheap and the packaging is effective. It's light and it keeps things warm. And it's easy to look left and right and say, everyone else does this around me too. Restaurants are cutthroat and have razor thin margins. And you simply cannot blow that margin on something that won't boost sales. I remember speaking with Ben Conniff, co-founder of Luke's Lobster, early in the idea to start up Pod Days. It's actually a great interview if anyone is building anything in the food space or creating a B Corp. If you want to go back and listen to it. He talked about how hard it was to get away from single use. It was such an expense and restaurants are on such sharp margins. Plus, they're already squeezed by Grubhub or Uber Eats or whoever else they're using for deliveries. He really wanted to. He hated that he had plastic. He was building towards this B Corp. they have now. He just couldn't support a business back then without it. So, as far as a problem is concerned, plastic almost certainly isn't perceived as one from the restaurant's perspective. Although there are likely restaurants that might switch if another cost-effective option was presented, maybe on the customer side, this might have some of the characteristics of a good problem. I was definitely pretty disgusted by the sushi containers, and I'm sure plenty of others are too, but was it painful, urgent, frequent, expensive, growing? Is it going to keep me from ordering sushi next time? Probably not. It is definitely visible. Every time I order, I now can't help but recognize how much single-use plastic there really is. But It's clearly not changing my behavior since I still order delivery. So even if I think that it's a problem for me, it can't be that big a one. So the final verdict, maybe a problem restaurants would solve. If it was clear, I'd make them money. And for customers, maybe a problem they'd solve if it was easily available. There's a lot of maybes. Maybes are bad for startups. Whenever maybes pop up, always think back to our good friend, Charlie Munger. Don't be brilliant. Be less stupid. Maybes are stupid. They don't help anything. How can we be sure this is a problem one way or another? If I can get one thing across to you as an entrepreneur, it is that you can have all the muscles and willpower and funding and Tony Robbins audible books in the world, but you cannot push on a string. It doesn't go anywhere. You cannot get an early customer to change their mind. You've got to be like those old characters in the Westerns where they run alongside a train and catch it and jump on, and then their friend trips and can't quite make it, and then they reach out and pull them in. The last part isn't as important as the first part, that the train needs to be moving already. So, back to plastic. We have to find people already bought in. That's how we act less stupid. This is a marketplace. Restaurants and people buying food. In a marketplace, you should always focus on the customer that cares less. The one that'll be harder to convince once you're sure that the people buying the food will buy more or spend more for it. If reusable is an option, then restaurants will jump on immediately because they know they'll sell more while doing some research in the space. I came across a company called deliver zero in New York city. They supply restaurants with reusable packaging that customers can pay extra for and then return. If the customers don't return it, they get charged a fee. I'd never heard of them, but this is nice validation in the form of restaurant and customer, they likely wouldn't have been able to go directly to restaurants. So I'd assume they got some validation that people would pay more for reusable containers before selling to that other side of the market. I'd lean into this. I'd see what restaurants are in their network and try to understand why, what is it about the restaurant or the area or the type of food that attracts the type of customer who'd pay more for reusable packaging, and by the way. If you thought, oh no, we can't do this anymore because there's another company doing it, remember that number. Hundreds of billions of single-use plastic from food delivery each year. There is nothing but space for you to build something. There won't be one winner here. I'd also explore the idea of owning a vertical. I have a hunch that types of restaurants are more siloed than people might think. Slice has built a massive business on the unique needs of pizza shops and pizza shops only. I'd run some Instagram ads for a way to get sushi delivered without single-use plastic or Chinese food or Indian food or your daily salad. I'd see which vertical got the most signups, then I'd interview people about their habits. Then I'd take that data to restaurants to learn more from them. If you pick a vertical, maybe there are adjacent problems you can solve alongside plastic for those vertical customers too. My instincts are pointing me to lunch. We talked about problem visibility, and if I were to make a reusable container, Owning the office delivery space might be massive. People at their desks or in the lunchroom with their distinct reusable salad bowl or sushi tray would be your main growth channel on the customer side. It's also a consolidated way to pick up the containers if you were going that route for the product. And it's likely these are repeat customers. There are probably five-day-per-week orderers and companies that foot the tab for them. There might even be a B2B play here. A corporate partner to lower the cost for employees if they choose the non-plastic delivery option with their corporate cards. I'd explore what companies have goals around environmental pledges. This could fit right in. And bulk ordering or pre-ordering or partnering with a bigger business could be an adjacent problem to solve for restaurants. As you're ideating early, thinking about potential customers and ways to test with them, an exercise I like to think about is what is the absolute dead simplest version of this? What's the core? In this case, it's something potentially interesting though. Remember all babies are cute and all of this needs testing. I was in Whole Foods the other day and there's a new label on select food, climate friendly. I didn't really know what that means, but it seems better than not having a climate friendly label. I consistently chose climate friendly foods without a second thought. As we start to prioritize avoiding single use plastic, I'd bet it'd be helpful to have an authority sorting it all out. What if you build that authority? If you came up with a rubric for how environmentally friendly a restaurant's to-go packaging was. And if they were great, you gave them a stamp of approval. And that stamp was next to their name on every delivery app. The way I'd test this out would be to pick a few of the businesses working with Deliver Zero. I'd get a sense of how frequently the environmentally friendly packaging was used and gauge how environmentally friendly the rest of the packaging was. Then I'd tell the manager that they'd been awarded the title of Earth Friendly Packaging, which for a fee, they could use next to their name on all their delivery apps and see what they thought. I have no idea if that makes sense or if it'd be helpful or if it'd drive behavior, but it is the simplest form I can think for solving the problem. The first step for sussing out an idea like this is to think through all the potential customers and how the problem impacts them. The next step is to dig in on each of those scenarios, to run interviews, to run tests, to learn more, get a hypothesis and test it aggressively. Don't be brilliant, be less stupid. And if you've got an idea and you made it this far and you're ready to launch it right in 2022, we're giving everyone who joins in January 40% off the Tacklebox monthly membership for life. Go to gettacklebox.com and set your start date. 2021 sped by. Don't let 2022 do the same. Join the Tacklebox Method membership at gettacklebox.com and we'll see you soon. Have a great week.